Hi, everyone. Hi, guys. What's up, squad? Hey, everybody. I hope, um, I don't know. Okay, I don't know. Did you get the Canada cast off at all? Did anything from Canada come over to you guys? Not really. It was cloudy this week, but I, I don't know if that was just bad weather. I know. That's all week. I've been like, I can't tell if this is like weather or like Canada happening. But we had it really bad at one point. And I did not realize it was like a crisis. Like I was like, hmm, it smells kind of gross out. Let me just open the window real quick to see. And I was like, it smells like literal fire outside. Oh, no. Yeah, it smelled like it smelled like the, ci- the city was burning, but it wasn't. It wasn't this city. For once. Were people wearing masks outside or people are just kind of like, whatever, we're smokers here, so who gives a fuck? Some people were. I did just because I was like, this does smell. Um, When I found out that that it was, they were like, it is the equivalent of smoking six cigarettes in a day. I was like, ooh. (laughs) That's like (laughs) the equivalent of smoking six Macanudo cigars. (laughs) (laughs) That's a lot. No, it's not. It's a great way to unwind. So get out of here, little girl. I got my brother into I think you should leave and I'm so proud of myself. It's definitely, I don't know about you, but have you ever like seen somebody and you get the urge or been with someone just, just you could tell when it's like someone's sense of humor when it's not, you know? My husband, Tyler, who you, you know, but maybe not everyone in the audience, um, sometimes he'll talk about like shows in front of my mom and my mom's like, what's that? And I'm like, Tyler, don't bother. My mom is never going to watch a fucking episode of Bob's Burgers and think it's funny. You could just tell because and it doesn't mean that person isn't funny. You just know that that wouldn't be their humor. This is very much millennial humor, in my opinion. I don't know a single boomer who would be like, which is funny because I'm pretty sure Tim Robinson. No, wait. He's Gen X. No, no, he's uh, he's he was born in 1980. So he's an early millennial. Just looks older. I know. Sorry, look older. <laughs> Tim, I would still, you know, you could holler at me, but like, you know. Sorry. I like older men. He's really funny. I like younger men. I don't like saying that anymore. You know what? Now that we're in our 30s, it really is like, you know, like even younger men. I'm like, that could be anyone. I see people in their early 20s and I'm like, teenagers. Hello. You're an infant. You are a child. A child. Weirdly, I didn't feel like a child back then, but now I know I was a child. I was a child. I'm still a child. Oh, I'm still. You're a child bride. I think of you as that. I, you know what? I got married too young. 31. <laughs> <laughs> when you say it like that. I know. Yeah. You and Helena and James are my child bride friends. Children. Children who are married. I love that meme. And it was like my brain when two of my friends get married. It's like, why child married child? <laughs> and then there was like a baby one. It was like when my friends like have a baby. It's like, why child give birth to other child? I know. Still to this day when people are like, I'm pregnant. I'm like. On purpose? Right. I'm like, is everything okay? I truly had that reaction to a person one time. Now, to be fair, we were like 20, this girl and I. We worked at um, Levi's together. She was also very strange. She like, you couldn't tell how she was feeling from moment to moment because she kind of just talked like this the whole time. Very monotone. So she told me, you know, I was like, how's it going? She goes, it's okay. I just found out I'm pregnant. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And she was like, no, I'm happy. And I was like, oh. Then I'm happy to. Carry on. Yeah. (laughs) But then she started to try to sell things to us because she was like, I need more money. Do you want to buy these tickets to the movies that I bought for this weekend? And I was like, I do not. No. I do not want to do this. This is why she shouldn't be pregnant. 
exactly. Her idea and of then commerce we would... is selling tickets she already paid for. And you know, like when normally, if it was someone you know, you might do it. But then if it's someone you don't know very well, and they're kind of like desperate for it, you're sort of like, no, oh, I, God, no, I, I don't want to. I don't want to go see whatever was out ten years ago, <laughs> Transformers, Transformers or whatever, Insidious Two or something. Actually, I think I saw this trailer when I was watching SVU on Hulu. The ad for I think it's called Insidious. Oh, the red, the red door. door scared the bejesus out of me. When he's in yeah, the MRI was, machine and he's like, hello? Ugh. Ugh. All right. Hi, everyone. Okay. <laughs> Honestly, I think we went off on such a tangent because this is a bummer of an episode. It warmed us up. Yeah, no, it's a bummer. It's a bummer. It's a bummer. It's a well-done bummer, though. We mm-hmm. um, agree that this is probably the strongest episode of the entire season so far. Oh, yeah. Um, and there was exactly one actor in it, I've decided. Everyone else is not a an actor. A plebe. Yeah, everyone should be ashamed. I will say after, one after. other person I thought did a pretty good job, but I'll say who that is when he arrives. Was it Jonathan? It is. Yay. He's a little I star. Have he was so good. He's our age, too. He was um, born in 1990. So cute. And I have a little, I think you probably have the same fun fact. I have a little fun fact about him when we get to his character, Ooh. which is two seconds from now. Uh, all right, so everyone, we're going to be talking about Law and Order SV. Where this is crazy, um, episode twenty one. Well, it's our episode twenty three. Uh, but yes, this is episode twenty one, Nocturne, second to last episode in season one, and it was directed by John DeSagatzak. I stole your thing because I remembered. Yes, our uh, director from episode one, Payback. What was the original air date? May twelfth, two thousand. So. We're still technically supposed to be in 2000 in this episode, but it's February again, so. Back in time. Dun dun, opening scene. Pictures of a little boy are shown being developed and printed. There are about seven photos printing, one after the other, and all show a boy smiling, but also in various stages of undress. So first one, just posing like normal, normal picture. Next one, jackets coming off, and so on and so forth. There also appears to be, and I'm glad I was right about this, a bottle of, it's like a 40, like a 40 ounce in the back. Yeah, like a 40 ounce of whiskey. I mean, you, you can't really tell, but that's what it looks like. With perhaps shot glasses or a shot glass next to it, something like that. The last photo of the boy shows that he is sitting posed with his knees to his chin. Um, and he's wearing shorts that res- very much resemble underwear. Cut to Benson and Stabler are now speaking with the manager of the store who said that he saw the photos and he thought they were suspicious. So he obviously wanted to call the police. Thank you. Yes. Responsible citizen. BNS kind of turn away from him. Like they turn their backs to him, but they do not walk away from him. And they begin discussing the photos and the crime. And the guy's just in the background kind of like listening, listening. being like, oh, oh, oh yes. Troubling. Oh, oh, dear. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I was like, what an interesting choice. They're observing the photos, uh, discussing. Stabler notes that the boy is clearly posed, and Olivia points out the bottle of beer in the background. She says that they think that they could make an arrest on de- based on endangering the welfare of a child. They call this EWC, and they try to make it happen a lot in the first, like, five minutes of this episode. Yes. They keep saying EWC, which is endangering the welfare of a child. Uh, but she says that they probably can't prove this. They probably can't prove that a child sex abuse materials in the end. Stabler says that he has a feeling that this is only the tip of the iceberg, and they say they need to be careful while investigating, or it'll prompt the perp to destroy evidence if, they, if he catches wind of them. So 
ironically, again, as they're having this conversation, being like, we can't scare the guy. He might run off and destroy evidence. An older man walks in smiling and the clerk looks at the older man and then very like quickly glances at BNS and glances back at the man, clearly indicating like that's him. And he nods at them. Yes. So the perp walks up to them and he sees the photos in Benson and Stabler's hands and he kind of goes, well, he actually goes, what's going on here? And they're like, are these your photos? And he goes, yes. And then Stabler takes out a badge and shows him. And then only then does this guy go, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Right. As if normal people wouldn't be like, this is strange. Yeah. And you should be ashamed of yourself. So the clerk or the manager earlier said that like a photo mat down the street had recently closed and had never seen this guy before. His name's Larry Holt. Um, so I'm wondering if at the photo mat, it was like one of those maybe develop your own pictures. So he wasn't used to people seeing his pictures. That's possible. Very troubling. But, dun, dun. I know. I was yes. like, but dun, dun. <laughs> so obviously Larry is in the mean interrogation room. He's in there with his lawyer. And Cragen is standing outside the room with Benson and Stabler. And he's like, you do not even have EWC, endangering the welfare of a child. And Stabler starts protesting. He's like, listen, like there's a bottle of whiskey. And Cragen, he's doing his kind of devil's advocate thing. He's like, well, you can't prove that's not apple juice. You can't even prove he drank from the bottle. And he's like, you guys jumped the gun. And Olivia's like, uh, what the fuck? We were just standing there and he came in and saw us holding the pictures. So so Cragen tells them there are nothing in these photos he can do anything about. And he turns to go. Stabler is not going to let this go. So he follows him and he shows him another picture. He's like, look at these poses. They're not normal. Someone told him to pose like that. And Kraken, I think he's starting to warm up to this idea. And he's like, all right, keep going. The nameless ADA is randomly here. And he asks how the child is related to Holt. Olivia tells him that Holt is a piano teacher and this child is a student. Stabler once again states that these are sexualized photos and that pedophiles keep evidence of their sexual acts. And he's 100% sure there are more photos in Holt's apartment. And the ADA is like, well, I suppose you want a warrant for your ESP. And Stabler does like a little like, like fingers to his head. And he's like, uh, yeah, I do. Craig is like, this is post McMartin people. And he's referring to the McMartin preschool abuse trial. Yeah, Craig, that was like a literal fucking mess. Yeah, I'm like, uh. <laughs> like there was there was actively no evidence against those people. Right. Those are actual. This is an actual crime with evidence. So the ADA says that most likely the judge is going to throw out the arrested as arraignment. And as they're having this conversation, Holt's squirrely little lawyer comes over and he's like, my client informed me you took his watch and his keys and his wallet. And Cragen's like, yeah, we do that. We voucher all personal property at the time of the arrest to prevent theft or accidental loss. And the lawyer very suspiciously goes, I need those keys. <laughs> and Cragen's like, why? And the lawyer's like, to get into that house. And Cragen again goes, why? He actually says, tell me why. Yeah. And the lawyer goes, I got to feed the dog. Like, talks like he's lying. And Cragen's like, the dog's going to be fine. So this exchange seems to push Cragen to Stabler's side. The lawyer asks for the keys one more time. And Cragen's like, listen, they're with the property clerk. Go get them. And then Olivia walks over and produces an envelope with Holt's things. And she's like, haven't taken them to the clerk yet. And Cragen's like, great, I'm going to put a uniform on the door. And then the ADA says if they have a probable cause, they can get a warrant. And Cragen asks about the kid in the photos. And Benson's like, it's a small neighborhood. We'll go find him. Two notes. One, 
Holt's lawyer, Oslo, was also in The Devil Wears Prada. Um, I oh. forget. Um, he was also in Enchanted, which you and I saw in theaters, but I don't remember him. I have no idea who he would have been in Enchanted, but. I also commented uh, that when they voucher items uh, for anyone taken into custody, I wrote that Olivia probably vouchered Gina's cherry glow lipstick immediately. I should probably try it a little on. But I love how suspicious that fucking lawyer is. He's like, uh, I need those keys. Clearly he was going to go there and destroy fucking evidence. Could you, like, you're, so fuck him. You know? Yeah. It's like. How do you fucking sleep at night? And also, by the way, because I was very concerned about the dog briefly, there's no fucking dog. No. That was a lie. There's never a dog. Mm-hmm. It's, we go later and there's no dog. Dun dun. Dun dun. So now we're outside Holt's apartment. A man is arguing with the uniform officer that Cragen has stationed outside of the apartment. BNS arrive and this man's like, hey, this guy will not let me into my house. And they're like, do you live here? And he says, well, no, my father does. And they tell him that he can't go in because there's an active investigation. So he goes, is there a warrant? And they're basically like, no, but we're working on it. They were kind of like, yeah, there will be one. There will be. Olivia's like, "Uh, you bet your ass there's a warrant. <laughs> I'm surprised that she wasn't the one being like, I've got it. I'm going to go get it, guys. It's OK. So weirdly, this guy, I mean... Very, you know, because as we know, in the um, long history of Law and Order, like side characters and witnesses, they don't really give a shit if it's an investigation or if someone has died or been hurt. This guy is okay with it. He's, I mean, it's his dad too, and he's just like, "All right, thank you." Yeah, and he walks away. He has no reaction. Like, oh my god, what happened? He's like, "Oh yeah, thanks, bye." And you'd think, like, because at first they kind of there's like one other interaction with him, and I was like, "Does this guy know?" But again, it's never made clear if he does or doesn't. So. I don't even know why they bothered giving him a son. Honestly, if they removed the son, it would change nothing about the narrative. It, it would almost make the narrative a little bit, not Stronger? easier, but like, yeah, I'm just like, oh, no, he had a son. Because now I'm like, did he do this to his son? Was his son present? when? Anyway, I'm just like, why? Yeah. Why a son? So they briefly discuss, in fr- with kind of in front of, uh, with the uniform cop, that it's interesting that Holt owns this whole building, they say, this whole building. I could not tell you what that means. Um, it probably means a brownstone unless he owns an entire apartment building, but that would be crazy and weird and probably not legal, actually. Olivia wonders how a piano teacher makes that kind of money. We don't know. We never find out. I don't know why she wouldn't just assume generational wealth. Yeah, that's kind of the only thing I can think of, but they don't ever say it. It's very much a mystery where most people who live in New York City get their money. So I'm like, where do you get yours? Your apartment's super nice. Oh, yeah. Olivia. So, yeah, they're like, how did he live here? She also comments. She goes, do you think it's a coincidence that he lives across the street from a school? And they cut to it's like kind of a hilarious cut. They just cut to a school. I know. It's like very obvious. The school is not right there. The way they cut to it. They're like they show a school. It's like a zoomed in photo of a school. It's not just like and they don't even pan. They just kind of like cut really quickly. Cut quickly. Cut back. Cut back. (laughs) Anyway. Stock footage of a school. (laughs) So then just then a little boy runs up, not to them, but kind of tries to get past them. And he's very excited. He's yelling, excuse me. And Stabler stops him because they notice that he's kind of trying to get into Holt's apartment, actually. And Elliot goes, hey, where are you going? And the boy says he has piano lessons and gestures towards Holt's home. Elliot takes out one of the photos. In case we're fucking stupid. I love I know, how they like hold it kid. up and like next to the kid's face in case I missed the fact that we saw him a few minutes ago. They do that again later. And I'm like, is this supposed to be funny? <laughs> I'm not an idiot. I see, I see him. So it is the boy uh, in the picture. Uh, but I just want to know that they do use a comparison of one of the photos where he's clothed. 
Dun dun. So now we're at the nice interrogation room, of course. Of course. So Olivia asked the little boy, Jonathan, if Holt is a good teacher. Jonathan is here with his dad and he's like, yeah, he's good. Olivia has a really sweet back and forth with Jonathan. Like she's really good with kids. And she's like, did he ever? Oh, I say that. And now she has to ask, ask a terrible question. But she's like, did he ever touch you? And Jonathan's like, well, yeah, Holt keeps his hand on my back for posture. And Olivia's like, does this ever make you uncomfortable? And Jonathan goes, well, my dad said it was okay. And his dad is kind of like, uh, I heard he's like this with all his students. I thought that too. I was like, ooh. Mm. And the dad's like, no, no, he's like this with all his students. So Olivia asks his dad if he goes to the lessons and he gets really defensive. And he's like, well, I work late. And Olivia asks who the students are. And he says they are kids in the neighborhood. And she's like, does he teach boys and girls? And Jonathan goes, girls, please. Yeah, it was. And Olivia gives kind of a big laugh. And I like to think that Marishka actually was laughing. But well, the delivery was so cute. I mean, it was so cute because of the implications. Terrible. I think it's kind of meant to not throw us off too much because obviously we have like evidence. But he's delivering these lines very excited. He's kind of like, you know, happy to he's not showing signs of trauma. So it's a little you're like, oh, I don't know at first. But yeah, no girls. So that's kind of like a little tongue in cheek reference to he does not have female students. He doesn't offer his services to them. Which is really weird and suspicious. If any parent took two seconds to think about it. So Olivia asks if Holt took pictures and Jonathan's like, yeah, he has a whole lot of other pictures, too. He calls them snappies. And Olivia's kind of like, oh, okay, snappies. Did he show you these snappies? And he. He's been kind of jovial this whole time, but now he leans in like it's a secret. He's like, no, mm. I found them. He was turning the page on the music stand and a whole bunch fell out. And Olivia's like, are they like the snappies taken of you? And he, I think at this point, kind of knows something's up. But he goes, well, the boys in the snappies, they didn't have any clothes on. And his dad looks horrified. So outside the room, Cragen turns to Stabler in the ADA and he's like, there's your probable cause. And I don't know what this means, but the ADA says they won't be able to get a nighttime exemption. If, so if they don't open the door by 9 p.m., they won't be able to get in until 6 a.m. the next morning. And I guess that means they have to get rid of the policemen outdoors so anyone can get in and do whatever they want. Yeah, I had to. I was confused by this, too. I concluded after watching it a couple of times, I was like, there must be some type of cutoff where they have to let Holt go by 9 p.m., so they need the warrant because with the warrant, they can continue to hold him with probable cause because now they have a warrant. So that must I think that's how I rationalized whatever that was. Craig goes, we'll go in while the ink is drying. And I, a type A employee, really enjoyed that because it would have been me. I would have been saying they're like, oh, do we have to wait till the ink is dry? Um, could we go in just before it's dry? Like, when are we exactly able to go in? I don't want to mess it up. I, would, I just want to make sure it goes smoothly. So I should also note that Jonathan is played by Mark John Jeffries. He has basically had a steady career since the late 90s, early aughts. He's a, like you, I think you said earlier, he's about our age now. Yeah, he was born in uh, March 1990. So he's just a smidgen older than us. Call me. So he was in the uh, Eddie Murphy Haunted Mansion movie, which is truly delightful. I really like that movie. Iconic. And he was in Notorious. And he played a young Marcus, a.k.a. 50 Cent, in Get Rich or Die Tryin'. Fucking awesome. Good for you. Done, done. We are at Judge. We go to Judge Rothman's apartment instead of just, you know, getting the 
getting the warrant. But it's kind of a fun scene because we get to we get a nice little list of really analog sounding devices. Yes. Um, that they're including in this warrant. So yeah, Rothman's writing out all the things that they're allowed to search and seize in Holt's home, including photos, negative slides, cameras, photographic equipment, magazines, Xeroxes, printed materials, video cassettes, videotape, and film. Mm-hmm. Pretty. Did we get it all? I think you got the eight, entire list. Eight. Do, how about voicemails from a voicemail machine? Olivia must love this. She's just like, well, she does, actually, because so cut excited. two. Now we're outside Holt's apartment, and Benson's standing there, and she's on the phone, and she goes, you got it? Good. And so then she, Munch, and Jeffrey's all and a bunch of rando cops, all go into Holt's apartment as the ink is literally drying per Kragen. Mm-hmm. Again, really awesome teamwork team. Upon entering the apartment, Benson remarks that it's quiet, and Munch says, maybe the dog died. And then I realized at first I was like, <gasps> then I was like, there was no there fucking was never dog. A dog. <laughs> there was never a fucking dog. Um, so they start looking through his things. I just want to note they do not turn on the light, which I thought was strange. And it's 9 p.m. They say specifically that it's like, I think 8.57 when they sign the warrant. So they like literally are kicking down the store at 9 p.m. On, in February. So it's dark. It's very dark. So they are, and they just don't. They, they're bumping around in the dark, rifling through shit. And I'm like, you, you could not possibly be able to see anything. They don't even like have a flashlight. No. We can't turn on the light because they didn't include that in the warrant. I swear they just do it to be creepy. And it is creepy because, yeah, they're going around. And, and the room that... um. Holt teaches piano in with the piano in it. Um, it's decorated clearly. It's for children, so it's got very colorful walls, uh, big cutouts of piano toys, toys, um, like a lesson room for children. Uh, so they're going through the stuff, and they do find an album of kids, and just you know they're flipping through it. They see it. the photos are almost identical to the ones that were taken of Jonathan. Boys undressing. So Munch finds a door towards the back of that room and it's locked, but he gets it open. He does that thing where he like busts in with his shoulder. It's a dark room, but there's a TV and VCR. Uh, The screen's blue so they can tell if there's a tape already in the VCR. They press play and on the screen pops up um, a tape and it's of a little boy and he's kind of playing with the piano. He's like standing up and like hitting the keys. Holt walks over on the tape and the little boy says, come play with me. So then they both sit on the bench. The little boy starts to play the piano. Uh, and then it cuts back to the squad, so Munch and Jeffries and Olivia who are watching the tape. And you hear, as it, the camera is on them, you hear from the videotape, the little boy say, please don't. Holt responds, it's okay. And then the boy says, no, that hurts. So right then, Munch pauses the tape. And then Benson and Jeffries see these two huge bookcases all filled with labeled home videotapes, uh, VHS tapes. And there's also a camera, like, a camera situated so it's like peeking through like a secret wall. <gasps> Duh. I can't believe I didn't notice that because that does come up later that they didn't know that they were being filmed. Yeah, it's I think the entrance to this room is also is almost supposed to be hidden, except it's not hidden very well. Like Munch immediately figures out that it's like a false door wall. Yeah, but done, 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 done. So guess who's back? Back again. Judge Kevin back. Kevin back. <laughs> What a dick. And actually his best episode to date. They had to redeem him. That's what I wrote. I was like, they had to throw this guy into the one about pedophiles so that we wouldn't absolutely hate him. I say this about everybody and that I'm usually wrong, but I do believe this is our farewell to Kevin. I kind of. Uh, I liked him. Towards the end. You, you liked Kevin back? 
<laughs> only in this episode and last episode where Munch fucking reamed him out for no reason. That was so, so random. <laughs> like the episode before that, he literally was like, I don't know. These women could have had sex with a random man with a knife on a, on a public subway in the middle of the morning. All the same man, nine different women. Who then claimed they were raped. And he's like, wow, what a coincidence. That's so weird because there's no evidence other than his semen and your words. And then the next episode, he grants like a pretty high bail. And Munch is like, "Ah, how dare you? Yeah, you just declared open season on all women. I'm like, he's done that like four times a season. I (laughs) know. Where were you? He did it like about your little girlfriend. So now you're pissed. Exactly. Yeah. (sighs) Whatever. So Holt's dickbag lawyer asks if he can approach the bench and Beck, as you can already tell, wants nothing to do with these people. And he's like, briefly. So Holt's lawyer tells him he knows the court is under extreme pressure to punish child abusers to the fullest extent of the law. And Beck's staring at him and he goes, yeah, and uh, somehow it never seems enough. And he he proceeds. I think he just kind of ignores whatever Holt's dumbass lawyer says. So Holt is charged with endangering the welfare of a child, use of a child in a sexual performance, promoting an obscene performance of a child. And then he pauses and Judge Beck is like, how many tapes are found? 157. So Beck looks utterly disgusted and goes, impressive, Mr. Holtz. And then he says, 44 counts of possessing obscene sexual performance by a child. So Holtz's lawyer protests that the police haven't had time to go through all the videos. And the judge is like, yeah, and we will dread the discovery process. Bail denied, motherfucker. And that is the most we've ever liked Kevin Beck. I don't even know what Holt's lawyer was trying to get at. He was like, I know you're under a lot of pressure uh, to punish child molesters. And Kevin Beck's like, yeah. Yeah, like this one. Dun dun. So the squad are all in a room watching the contents of the tapes, the specifically the one that was left in the VCR when they arrived to search the apartment. The tape is timestamped September 1987, and it shows a seven or eight-year-old boy at the bench, and it's the same tape he's asking Holt to play along with him. So tape kind of, we see more of that tape now. Holt is sitting on the bench next to the little boy, and he puts his arm around him as he's playing. And then while the boy's playing, it shows Holt using his other hand. He starts to reach down towards the boy. Camera cuts away. Our camera cuts away back to Jeffries, and she looks away in disgust, and we hear that same line from the, from the other scene, please don't, Holt says, it's okay, and then the boy responds, no, it hurts. Cut to, now they're watching a tape from April 1992, so now the boy's around 12, 13, and he's playing for Delise, and Holt is sitting right next to him on the bench again, so then the boy just breaks out in another kind of like upbeat jazz song right in the middle of for Delise. Holt starts to laugh, he stands up, he hugs the kid from behind, he goes, you scamp, So when Holt does this, the boy takes his left hand and he rubs his left eyebrow with it, like right then. So then there's another tape, and we can't see the date on this one for some reason. It's like really zoomed in, but now this kid looks like he's about 16. So he's playing Moonlight Sonata, and Holt is watching on, but he's like kind of standing up or sitting like a little bit away from him, not on the bench this time. He approaches the kid from behind, and the kid stops playing and says, please don't. So then Holt responds, you have so much talent, but you need to learn restraint. Technique is discipline. So then the boy takes his left hand and rubs his left eyebrow. So at that point, Stabler leans in. We cut back to Stabler. And Stabler leans in and says, that's not a different kid. And so Jeffries agrees, kind of like backing his expletives here and says, it's the same person. 
So then the next tape is now from July 1999. We can see that timestamp. And it shows the boy, now probably about 19 or 20, is playing a more advanced classical sounding song. So Holt is kind of walking around him. And as the man finishes the song, Holt compliments him, says he did very well. The boy says, thank you. And when he does that, he touches his eyebrow with his hand again. He starts applauding on the tape. And the young man stands up and just very robotically and awkwardly takes this bow as if he's been trained to do it. So they're all sitting there with their mouths open and they're all just like, what? It's like the entire squad. Like shell-shocked. So then ADA Hickey comes in and he asks if they watched the tape. And Cragen says yes. And he says, we normally don't see this kind of stuff. We only hear about it later. And Olivia agrees um, that seeing it is a lot worse than obviously hearing about it. And I'm like, that's very interesting that you've all been here long enough. I would have thought they would have had to do some type of see some work. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if there are people who take evidence that like that's their job like there are specific yeah. people i'm i mean that's a really awful thing to watch and i'm sure when you're investigating a case it's not something everybody on the case watches which as we're kind of about to find out but yeah i would think it would in their jobs they would have each seen something like that before and they're all acting like they haven't hickey says he's kind of like well there's a lot more tapes to go through um so and then they all get really uncomfortable, more uncomfortable. And Craig goes, yeah, there's like 15 to 100 more kids possibly. And he's kind of looking around. And then Munch finally goes, I'll do it. But of course, he looks like he's just volunteered to walk into hell, which he kind of has. So Craig says that because they got Holt arraigned on possession and promoting, they need to get him on things. They need to um, get things like his day planner and his computer to collect more evidence. So Savo goes, what about abuse? And for that, Craig says they need a complainant. Um, and I was like, but why? So you can be filmed doing a really horrible crime, but if the person doesn't charge you, they can't do anything? Because you're right. It's probably a really old law because they, I mean, they don't flat out say what he's doing to these boys on the tapes, but some sort of sexual abuse. Yeah. So it's still illegal. Like, yeah. It's not the same as if, like, a couple gets into a drunk fight on the street and, like, one hits the other and then the other goes, oh, I'm not going to press charges. I mean, they could still, actually, they could still press charges for yeah, that if they want. I'm pretty sure they, so, I don't know that I understand this, but okay. Ultimately, Cragen says they need to find the kid in the tapes that we all just watched. Um, and I remember this part of the show specifically, this episode, um, especially the bowing part. I remember thinking that was like very disturbing and sad even back then dun dun now we're at Holt's apartment again or no his neighborhood excuse me we're on the streets so Stabler hands around um a, the man he was a boy he's now a man uh photos to um a bunch of officers including Jeffries and Benson and they start going around the neighborhood Benson speaks for the woman whose little boy is standing behind her she asks if um she knows the man the woman says that she doesn't but he looks familiar uh her son doesn't take piano lessons with Holt yet but she's hoping that he will someday because Holt is encouraging her to. Stabler is talking to a man in a corner store. Uh, the man also doesn't recognize the man for the young man from the photos but he says oh you should talk to Larry Holt. He knows every kid in this neighborhood and he kind of says it like with a bit of a twinge um, and Stabler's like well tell me more about that and the guy goes well it's none of my business and he goes by the way you guys only come around when um, something bad has already happened so uh, so now we cut to a videotape store. Jeffries is asking the owner, does Holt ever rent children's movies? 
And he says that Holt's a good man. He even gave his kids piano lessons for free. Uh, Jeffrey's like, did they like him? And he goes, yeah, he was strict, but like, he's a good man. And then he goes, have you ever heard of Ray Cusimano? And Jeffrey's is like, no. And then the guy posts, points to a poster on his wall of Ray Cusimano, who's apparently a concert pianist who was trained by Holt. So the man insists that Holt makes a difference in people's lives in this neighborhood more than you ever will. So then cut to BNS and Jeffries are now walking and discussing how they think most people in the neighborhood ultimately knew about what Holt was doing. Jeffrey sees a person and goes, did you talk to her yet? And they're like, no. And so then she runs she like over. She runs to- over. She's like, yeah. she's like really excited. She goes, oh my God, have we talked to her? And they're like, no. And she goes, she like starts speed walking. I'm like, okay. Gotta go talk to her. I thought they were going to cut over and this was going to be a huge important witness. No. Nope. <laughs> it's just we're giving Benson and Sabler space to discuss children. Basically. Uh, thank God. Yeah, thank God. So Benson says, I bet I know what you're thinking. And I'm like, same. She's like, I know Stabler's about to make this about himself. And Stabler's, bitch, don't. And Benson's like, even the best parents can't protect their children. And he goes, no, there's a gutter at home that needs to be fixed. Stabler, don't talk about Kathy like that. She's not a gutter. <laughs> So Benson goes, you can't fix everything. And Stabler goes, as a parent, you wish you could feel the pain for your children. So then Benson responds, and I agree. It makes you think, why? Why do it at all? Like, you know, because why, why should you have to protect them from this much pain? And Elliot goes, because you want to more than anything in the world, because you want to love them every single day, which doesn't at all answer her question, in my opinion. It more or less says, I wanted kids. So that's why. So I had too many. Yes. And I'll have some more. So I had three. <laughs> oh, wait. No, three. So as they're having this conversation, they walk up to Holt's apartment and they hear the piano is being played inside. So I first was like, oh, they just hear piano music and go into a building. It's Holt's apartment. That is not clear until they walk in. Well, because they're kind of like walking casually up to it and then they don't they they don't really do this well because they don't stop like they're like, oh, here's Holt's apartment. They're like, look like they're about to walk by it and then they hear the piano. And then they're like, oh, oh, what is that? So they go inside Holt's place and they discover the boy from the video is inside playing Holt's piano. Stabler tries to interrupt him and he has none of it until he's finished his piece. Um, He tells them Holt gave him keys and asks who they are. So they introduce themselves and ask his name. His name is Evan. And they tell him they are looking for this person. And they show him his own photo. And then he reaches up and scratches his eye nervously like we've seen in all those older videos. Evan is played by Wilson Germain Heredia, a.k.a. Angel from Rent. Angel, do not We should also mention earlier we had his love interest, Tom Collins, played by Jesse L. Martin, appear. I think we haven't seen him since the beginning of the season. Detective Green. Yep, that's Detective Green. Yes. If you don't know, you should know about Rent. You should. Already, he is acting circles around. Like He said two lines, and he's acting the way I want everyone to act in a fucking TV show. He's just talking, you know, but not like boring. He's not like... Uh, uh, I am acting. He's like actually, t- it's so fluid. He's it's fluid. so good. It's just good. Every single human that has walked onto the set it's pales true. in comparison. So I'm so happy because for once I can sit here and be like, <laughs> I, 
<laughs> seeing real acting on a screen. I cried a few times watching this episode, so. That one scene. Dun dun. Dun dun. So now we're in the nice interrogation room. We enter in on Evan telling BNS that he has an audition for Juilliard in three days for a three-year program. Evan is almost 21. He says that if he gets in, it will be all thanks to Holt. Benson asks what Holt is like as a teacher. And Evan answers that he's just a normal teacher, but he makes you practice a lot so that you develop a strong technique and dedication. Benson decides to cut right to the chase, and she goes, I need to ask you about what he did to you. And Evan denies that Holt did anything to him. And again, he's just very... There's no real, he's just like, no, he didn't do anything to me. And like normally you would be getting people going, nothing, nothing at all. Evan says he was inspired to start playing the piano uh, after his mother would play Elton John's greatest hits throughout his childhood. He said that he had always wanted to sing like Elton, but he couldn't. So he wanted to play the piano instead. I have news. Wilson Germain Heredia can sing. Oh, yeah. I'm like, honey, I've heard you sing. You're great. More lies. More lies. Don't fucking, don't play me, Evan. I cried earlier listening to I'll Cover You. He was like, are you guys sure you don't want me to sing? Because I can. They're like, no, no, you're, you're too talented. We can't have you sing, too. Like, you're already, people are already really upset about this acting quality. Um, so Benson interrupts this, this story, and goes, how old were you when you first had sex? Jesus Christ. But I guess they're on a timeline. Evans keeps calm, and he says that he hasn't yet. Uh, and he kind of says it as though they're being ridiculous. Benson says, Evan. Mr. Holt hurt you. And Evan says, no, he didn't. Uh, Evan says that all Mr. Holt did was push him to work hard and reach the next milestone. And he always did. So outside the room, Stabler and Cragen are discussing that Evan must not know that Holt taped the abuse. Cragen says that they should show Evan the tape uh, so that he'll be compelled to testify slash also so that the jury could see the tape as evidence uh, in an abuse case that would be brought against Holt. Again, I have no idea why they can't just do this without him because the tape literally shows child abuse. but. Stabler thinks that this is a horrible idea and that it will ultimately ruin Evan's life because it seems that he's been able to cope with this abuse and build past it. Stabler keeps referring to Evan as a child during this time and Craig goes, he's not a child, he's an adult. And I'm like, okay, but like his audition for Juilliard's in three days. I know. So Cragen is now in a room with Evan and they have the TV in there. Cragen tells him what he's going to see on the tape is going to be very hard and what was done to the person in the video was wrong. And the perpetrator deserves to be punished. Evan's kind of looking around like, okay, what? So they play the video that we've all seen for Evan. And it is awful. He starts to get upset. And he's like, what is this? And as the tape goes on, he gets up and he like starts to freak out. And he goes in the corner and he's like freaking out. And he slides to the ground. He's like, please turn it off. Please turn it off. And Stabler walks in and just kind of looks at Craig and like, you fucker. And it's awful. It is awful because, like, this would be so upsetting. I might be getting too dramatic. Well, I'm not being, I know I'm not being dramatic, but it's, like, too dramatic for a fictional sense. But um, he didn't know he was being taped, so that's traumatic because part of you is, like, okay, I'm never going to have to, like, relive it. So they're making him relive it. But then it's showing him, like, a version of himself as a child, which is, to me, so much more disturbing. Having to watch yourself as a kid be abused it's just like it ruins whatever whatever perception he was able to have of himself like whatever he was able to salvage it's like now he's got this image of himself as a kid being abused so thanks guys and it seemed like he might have repressed a lot of this 
and not really. Yeah. I don't think he was lying to Olivia earlier when he was saying that nothing like that happened. I think at that time he kind of believed that or at least had normalized what had happened into. I don't know. Your brain does stuff to protect you. So I assume he had kind of had come to some sort of idea of what had happened. And that was not the story he was telling himself. Dun dun. Now we're outside Evan's apartment where he lives with his mother. Benson and Saylor discussing how Holt was able to infiltrate the neighborhood the way he was without people making a fuss. So there is some discussion about the parents not being a little bit negligent and um, not paying attention well enough. Uh, then Benson suggests that Holt was able to appeal to children because he took an interest in them. Um, and she said that that's what kids like Evan need, someone to love them. Stabler adds that Holt brought them into his world. And Benson's like, rich, educated? And Stabler goes, white. I guess they wanted Stabler to be suggesting that Holt enticed the kids by, you know, like his whiteness kind of like let them know that he could potentially help them advance in the world where they weren't getting the help that they needed, like from their community or at home. I think that's what they were trying to say, because that line seemed to come out of nowhere. Like, obviously, the fact that he was rich and taking an interest. Yeah. But the fact I mean, yes, the fact he was white played into probably his generational wealth and the fact that he was trusted in the community and he's gotten away with this for so long. But they were like, he was what the kids needed, white. It's like, oh, I'm like, okay, what? Inside of Evan's mother's apartment, uh, Evan's mother is very cold and she's suspicious of BNS, of course. She asks what Evan did and they say nothing. And she's like, okay, then why are you here? They say that Evan's piano playing is very good. And she's like, yeah, so? And they're like, well, that's why we're here. We don't want to talk to him about his piano playing. They're trying to avoid telling her about the real situation, obviously. So they mention that Evan has a Juilliard audition. And she makes a dry comment. Ask him who he thinks is going to pay for that. So I'm going to note here that Evan's mother is played by Nancy uh, Ticotin. I think that's how you say her last name. And she's going to return later as Detective Amaro's mother. That's so funny. It's funny how all these people disappear for like, is she a lot nicer? I think so, because I think he has an okay relationship. I don't remember her being like a Serena Benson type or anything like that. Can I also say it sent me that they were like, (laughs) the show is so heavy handed with her. She has a liquor bottle in front of her, an open bottle of pills in front of her. She's smoking a cigarette with a like an ashtray filled with cigarettes. There are like 10 liquor bottles behind her. They're like, she's a bad mom. It's kind of like what they did with uh, Jonathan's picture. They're like, hi, you probably don't get this, but she's, she's a bad mom. I think she leaves or they just don't care because they start talking in front they of her. They walk like five feet from where she was and then start talking to Evan very openly. So we have to assume she went to go take a shit or something. <laughs> So Stabler asks Evan if he can identify any of the other boys from the photo album uh, that they found. And obviously that would be a photo album from the 80s and 90s because it would be kids from the neighborhood that Evan grew up with. Evan says yes, but then he kind of like, I think he gets a little distracted um, because he's embarrassed of his mother and he apologizes for her reaction. Stabler's like, that's okay. Family's right. Uh, He also apologizes for the state of the apartment because it's meant to be run down or otherwise not maintained. And he comments that it's not as nice as Larry's place, Larry Holt's place. Stabler goes, we've been there. And I'm like, yeah, that's where you met him. He knows you've been there. He saw you in the home. Thanks, Elliot. (laughs) Yeah, thank you, Elliot. Evan says that Holt cares a lot about him and he even bought him a coat one year when he didn't have one. He also mentions Holt said that Evan wasn't ready to stop taking lessons. I think that's what he meant. Uh, Because he said he wasn't ready to leave. And then he goes, I'm no Ray Guzamano. And I can't help but feel 
that name cracked me up. I it shouldn't have, but I found that name to be so funny because it reminded me of the I think you should leave sketch with the jazz guy. Roy Donk. Paul Bufano. How Paul, hard is Paul that? Paul Bufano. Paul Bufano. Paul Bufano. How hard is that? Paul Bufano. Come on. But he was, yeah, he was like, I'm no Ray Guzamano. And he says that Ray Guzamano released his first album by 17. Stabler's like, you know, you're only almost 21. You're fine. And uh, Olivia says, it's not too late. And so that Evan goes, it's not. This is a weird segue, too. But he takes the album and he opens it and he begins pointing out the kids in the album that he knows from the neighborhood. So there's Cesar, who's in jail for life after his gun went off during a convenience store robbery. Ricky, who's a junkie and now lives on the street. Apologies, the word junkie was used in the dialogue. Tony, and he goes, know where he is? Nobody does. And me, I still live here. And that's okay. Like, as if to be like, it didn't ruin my life. But it also kind of proves their point that Holt is a bad guy because these people, Cesar, Ricky, and Tony, are in really bad places in life now. Yeah. After having taken piano lessons with him. Again, I, I just thought it was strange writing. I thought they could have, like, formulated that a little better. I'm like, this is just information you need to know, and we're going to clunkily tell you. A right, bit. exactly. Dun, dun. Because we kind of kick off this next scene like that, because Jeffries is like, oh, Holt didn't have a computer. And, oh, the videos have dates, but it's only the date of the, the, the video starts. And I was like, what? Okay. But that's the date of the that's the date that the abuse happened. So they're like, wow, we don't really have a lot of evidence. And I'm like, you have tapes of crimes. With dates? You have hundreds of tapes of crimes. This guy documented all his crimes. But there's dates on all the tapes. And then someone else goes, Yeah, but it's only the dates of the lessons. I'm like, there are lessons during which he abused children. They were like, but there's no timestamps. I'm like, and there were timestamps. What, t- what are you talking about? <laughs> Detectives Page and Porter in the background just being like, what are they fucking talking about? We're smoking a cigarette with Debbie. Debbie's like, I have a doctorate in justice and criminology, and they ask me to bring people sodas. So they s- basically say none of his other students are talking. And the ADA says the case has been fast-tracked. And it seems like they're doing two different trials now. There's the one where Holt's getting charged with basically just possessing this material, not the fact that he's the starring actor in all of this sex abuse material. And then they're doing Evan's case, even though they haven't convinced Evan to testify. And then there's all this bullshit about how they can only charge Holt with two counts for Evan because they can only go back five years and because... Evan is almost 21. They can only count when he was 16 and 17. Cragen suggests talking to the kids Evan knows. And Stabler's like, yeah, one's in jail, one's missing, one has substance misuse issues. And Cragen's like, oh boy. Sorry that your analog world has so little empathy for or patience for abuse victims who didn't cope well with what happened to them. Cassidy's not even here. So we we literally don't know how to talk to people who are affected by substance misuse. Like, I might accidentally kick him while I'm talking to Like, I don't know. Yeah, like, do we yell at him? Do we Olivia and stand there and go, were you abused in front of all the other people who are- We're probably going to ask him about it once you leave. <laughs> and she's standing so far away from him. She's like, Ricky? <laughs> Ricky, what happened? Ricky? 
Well, yeah, dun dun. We go. Dun, we, dun. Olivia goes to talk to Ricky, and like Paige just said, she's literally like a mile away from him. Ricky, don't touch me. Ricky. It's fucking freezing out, and Ricky is like, Holt never touched me, bitch. Yeah, and then there's this sad little, um, she's like, why don't you come down to the station and get warm? And Ricky's like, Holt's apartment was always warm. And he says that you could always go in, get a hot meal, warm up. Um, door was always open. And he says he misses that part. So he dealt with Holt, obviously. Well, it's, it's so sad that Holt was the better option for all of these kids, which is so fucked, like, for Evan, for Ricky, for probably a lot of the other kids going to see Holt is better and enduring the abuse is better than the alternative, which is like freeze to death or starve to death or go home where your mother doesn't understand you. And dun dun. Now we're at Ray Guzamano's. Um, he's in like a really, I don't, I didn't know that concert pianist made this much money, frankly. That sounds like horseshit to me, but he did sell an album at 17. So I guess he lives in a really nice neighborhood. He has like a Beamer or something. Um, and we enter in on Jeffrey's kind of following him out to his car. He also denies being abused. And Jeffrey's is like, you're his most successful student. And that Ray owes his community his help. And Ray very quickly goes, I do not owe that community anything. And he says that Holt is the only person from the community who believed in him. And, and that means something to him. And he says that the only way people got out of that community was if they were smart enough to figure out how to get out on their own or they have someone to help them or they can do something like play ball or the piano. And he says he's not going to let anyone take that from him, which I assume to be his talent. Isn't that, the, isn't that the same as being smart enough to get out? So that's what I said. I was like, um. I'm like, you just moved down the street. I mean, I know what he's saying, like generational trauma and kind of getting sucked into that lifestyle. I know there are ways to get stuck, like Ricky. Right, exactly. And it's possible that maybe, maybe no one can leave because they can't make enough money. It's a vicious cycle where they end up staying with their parents right. in these apartments for years because they can't get a job. Um, so maybe that's what he means. But I did write, I said, not the clearest dialogue. No. But I think he's ultimately saying the same thing as Evan. And that's that Holt helped him. Uh, whether or not, whatever happened, that Holt still did help them and recognize their talent, help them develop a skill that would eventually advance their lives and potentially get them out of this community, which they all seem to hate. Dun dun. Super random scene. Um, Stabler is at Holt's son's apartment. And Holt's son is... Literally just has his head sticking out from a crack in the door, like a headless man, just looking at, looking at Stabler. And we enter in on Stabler going, why won't you talk to me? Let me talk to you. No, go away. Hey, bitch. What's up, bitch? Suck my dick, bitch. Let me talk to you. <laughs> she like spits on the car. Oh, yeah. She like puts her lips up. To <laughs> she literally puts her mouth to it and just goes. She's <laughs> disgusting, but also <laughs> relatable. Disgusting. <laughs> so the son ultimately says because it's because he's my father and he shuts the door very much in Stabler's face he's like standing so close to the door I'm realizing what a hilarious scene that was they were standing face to face this close to each you know, other Stabler likes to close talk he was like hey please just let me in and he was like no he is my father <laughs> father let me put this into words you can understand he is my father <laughs> father and stabler is just like damn it he tries to like put his nose in the thing and it just shuts up. <laughs> go away let me talk to you go away let me talk to you <laughs> so done 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 
So Cragen goes in to check on Munch, who's been watching all these awful tapes, and he asks him if he can't sleep. And Munch tells him every time he closes his eyes, he sees the tapes. So despite hearing this, Cragen tells him to go home so that he can go do this in private, apparently. And Munch is like, homicide was just so much more clear cut. And Cragen shrugs and he's like, yeah, you know, the pictures of the bodies bent and broke. I don't really know what they were doing here. But basically, Munch was like, I wish I still worked with murdered people. And Cragen was like, really? It, that, it was that much better? And Munch is like, at least I didn't watch tapes of it happening, I guess. And then Cragen literally goes, you retired in Baltimore and now you're here. And Munch is like, I don't need this. And Cragen's like, yeah, you'll come back tomorrow. Go home. Should I say that Munch says he has two more tapes to watch? It's not really important. That's good. No, he has two more tapes to watch. It's semi-important because the last two tapes are tapes that oh, I wish. Oh, shit. Yeah, no, that's true. Dun, dun. Stabler home. Stabler is reading The Night Before Christmas to Dickie and a friend from school. Who the fuck is that? Oh, no, I'm sorry. It's Elizabeth. I was like, who? After the amount of times I've been like, and we never, ever, ever see Elizabeth. And then she po- popped up. I was slightly embarrassed. I was like, oh, wait, Elizabeth's here. And she gets to say words. She gets to say words, actually. Elizabeth is very talented and smart because she's reading along with Stabler and even uses a British accent. Dickie asks Stabler if Santa will be coming tonight. Looking for pedophiles, Dad? Where did you get that from? Uh, uh, uh. Who told uh, you that? Uh, who, who, who told you that, Dickie? Which he does this episode. If I were Dickie, I'd be like, I told you. you why is Tyler still calling me? He knows I record... Anyway, continue this They scene. don't care. No, they don't care. Oh, yeah, go. No, I'm not answering this. I'm just going to text him. So then Stabler, he's getting a page at the same time as he's saying this. And he goes, I'm only going to tell you this one more time, Dickie. Christmas comes once a year and it's now February. Well, it was April last week, Stabler. So I'm sorry if your son can't keep track of time. But this is not a linear. It could be Christmas, writers. It could be. Yeah, Dickie doesn't know. Dickie's just like covering his bases. He goes, hey, I don't know what year it is anymore. Is it Christmas, Dad? And Stabler's like, Dickie, I'm so tired of explaining this to you, even though it was April literally last week. Christmas is already past, and I don't hunt pedophiles, except I do. Dickie, stop. And it's like, Dickie actually has valid questions. Dickie's like, what happened to my turtle? Um, so Stabler, he's getting the page from Evan, actually. And the kids start asking him, why can't Christmas be all the time? Elizabeth starts hugging him desperately and just like nuzzling his face. And I'm convinced it's because she realizes that he's getting this page and he knows he's about to leave and completely forget about her for another seven years. And we never saw her again. Stabler calls Evan. Uh, what? What happened? Uh, okay. Stay right there. I'll get there as soon as I can. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. Polly's Diner. So Evan and Stabler are sitting at a table and Evan tells Stabler that his mom kicked him out. She said she didn't want some F word staying at her place. So are we to assume he maybe tried to tell her about what was happening to him? Because I don't know why else she would suddenly think that. So yeah, he probably tried to like confide in her and she had this really, really charming reaction. Fucking bitch. So Stabler tells him it will be okay. He knows some places that offer emergency housing. And then he tries to change the subject. He's like, so how's your job? And yeah. So Evan says it. the hot water cracks his skin, but that doesn't matter because then we find out he was fired. Why wouldn't he say I was fired? He was a dishwasher too. This, his acting is, it's amazing. But they do give him weird dialogue. He's like, uh, eh, water cracks my skin. And he's like, oh, so you quit? No, I got fired. Okay. okay. <laughs> so Evan takes a deep breath and looks at Stabler and he tells him he thinks he wants to testify. And Stabler's like, that's good. That's really good. 
And then Evan kind of like looks at him. He goes, do you think I'm gay? And Stabler is really sweet here. He's like, listen, I don't know. It's not for me to say. And Evan's like, well, look, I've never had a girlfriend. And Stabler's like, well, maybe, maybe you don't know yet. It's not something you chose. There's a big difference between homosexuality and pedophilia. And Evan starts to think about this. And he's like, so which is what? And Stabler says, well, homosexuality is none of... The more I'm saying this out loud, this is a really weirdly written scene. Yes, it is. I'm like saying this like this is like a normal conversation to have. Basically, what Stabler is telling him is he's like, listen, maybe you're gay, maybe you're not, but you don't know because you've been so sexually traumatized. Any feelings you've had are coming from this trauma. So maybe when this clears away, you'll get to know how you feel. And Evan kind of takes this all in almost like St- Stabler's probably the first father figure he's had that has not hurt him. Just to wrap this up, Stabler says, Whatever person he chooses, that will be his choice. And my guess is when you're ready to see someone that way, you will. This is a good, I mean, trigger warning, but this is a really good uh, episode and it's worth it to see Heredia act in it. I I don't know. Again, this is weird dialogue, but he manages to make it not weird unless you're paying attention to it, like which we were for note taking purposes. I know looking back, I'm like, oh, that was a weird way to phrase it. But he's so you just believe him. He's. He's very genuine and he's able to have nuance without it being overdone or he's really talented. I'm shocked he's not in more things. I think he because I looked at his IMD or um, his Wikipedia and I think he mostly does theater now, like actual stage acting. He is a national treasure and I will put that on my gravestone. This is how I want people to behave, not act, behave, behave yourself when you're acting. (laughs) So, <laughs> dun dun you want to take us back to casa de stabler so elliot is drunk i think he's got his he's... shirt unbuttoned to like his navel he's stumbling around his home <laughs> they randomly have a piano and he slams it shut but gently because it's the middle of the night kathy's been watching him from the doorway she goes elliot you all right and she's all surprised. And I'm like, okay, maybe he is drunk because she's kind of like, what are you doing? And so then yes, he he's like, nothing. And he's kind of got acid. So he like stumbles over to the couch and sits down. He's like, he's chugging a beer. So Kathy sits down on the arm and she's like, how's it going? And he's like, it's going. And she's like, what's going on at work? And he goes, nothing. You um, talk to Olivia about it? And he's like, yeah, she's my partner. Uh, and then they just sit there in awkward silence. I guess this is Kathy's love language, is hearing about his really disturbing sex crimes from work. I mean, she's made out with him several times as he's tried to process things that happened at work. Let's hearken back to this, the episode where she's actively trying to have sex with him while he's recounting a story of incest. He's like telling her in great detail, disgusting detail. And she's just like all over him like, mwah, mwah, What's that, mwah. Elliot? Yeah, she's bitching an awful lot. My God, well, why won't they leave us alone? <laughs> why won't they leave us leave alone? Leave me be. The episode chat room, which was like two weeks ago, um, he did talk to her. They were drunk talking about cyber predators and that. Remember, she was like, it scares me. Why can't you do something? And he's like, 
I don't know where they are. Once they're done committing the crime, they get it from the computer and they bolt. They Carmen San Diego. Babe, you don't get it. As soon as they turn the computer off, they get on a jet plane and leave wherever they are. <laughs> that's how it works. No, but it's like, yeah, maybe that's why he doesn't want to talk to you because you say things like, can you go get them right now? He has to answer dumb questions. He's like, I'm not going to tell her because she's going to be like, well, this is not a dumb question. She's going to be like, why aren't the videotapes evidence? He's going to go, I don't know, babe. I don't know. I know we, we are actually asking that question. So that would be a fair question for Kathy to ask, but still. So we're back at the station and Stabler is talking to the ADA about how they can make Evan more comfortable. And the ADA is like, well, we just spent two hours rehearsing his testimony. And he answers questions as if he wants to give the right answer, as I think we all do. They're taking it as he's very childlike. Um, Stabler says emotionally and sexually, he shut down at eight years old, which I would like to bring up later. Anyway, the ADA says that when he has a kid on the stand, he likes to do courtroom prep. Done, done, or more like a cut too. I just want to say that this entire time, Evan's been, I, he acts like an adult in my mind, you know, clearly adult who's been through things, but I don't think he's been immature uh, for a man his age, but they decide to make him act like a little kid in this scene. Yeah. He's sitting in the judge's chair and spins around and says, this is cool. He's so likable as an actor that I'm charmed. So they tell him that he's got it. He's kind of like, okay, what do I do? And they tell him to answer the questions clearly and honestly and ignore everything else that's going on. So then Evan just kind of gets a smile on his face and he goes, just hear music. And then he's like smiling and kind of like nodding confidently. I thought it was weird that they made him kind of do like little kid stuff, but maybe they were sort of trying to show like, okay, this is him feeling safe in a way that he never got to feel as a child. So he's kind of letting loose with like Stabler and the ADA because he feels protected by them. Okay, I just talked through my problems. I'll buy it. I'll bite John Zack, even though he's the director, not the writer. You know, Brittany and I were rhetorical criticism majors in college, so uh, we're very good at rhetor. We're rhetoring. Done. I actually have like a pit in my stomach for this scene. So Stabler's enters the station. He's got a bagel and a straw. His life's about to be ruined. Yeah, I don't know what time it is, but he's drinking a full sugar Coke with like a bagel. And it appears to be nighttime. Or at least evening. Stabler enters and greets Munch. Munch is sitting at his desk with like a look on his face. Like he's been thinking some things. Stabler sits down at his desk and Munch asks, I hate when people do this. He goes, do you think it's a conscious choice? Like Stabler and he have been having a conversation. Yeah. And Stabler hates it too because he's kind of like, what? He's like, I don't know. Holt. And Munch says, yeah, Holt. What makes a perp a perp? And Stabler's like, who cares? And Munch muses that some people say our frontal lobe is our armor against impulses. And Stabler, like, doesn't want to hear this at all. He's like, okay, Holt has a bad lobe. Munch asks if he thinks he was abused, and Stabler says he really doesn't care. It's just another excuse as far as he's concerned. He hurt a lot of kids. That's what he cares about. And Munch is just kind of, like, looking away, thinking. And Stabler all of a sudden realizes something's wrong. He's like, what's going on with you? So he gets up and walks over to Stabler, and he's like, I have something to show you. So, as before, we see a video. This time, it's of Evan teaching Jonathan on the piano. Holt is there, too. And he tells Evan that Jonathan is having trouble with the music. He's ready to start learning. So, it cuts away from the video, and we see Stabler. You see him just kind of almost go into shock or dissociate. He just sits down, and he's staring at the video. And Munch in the corner is like hunched over with like his hand up to his mouth. But 
they are both watching a video of Holt coaching Evan to abuse Jonathan. And we end with a close-up on Stabler, who is just, like, utterly destroyed. It was almost, to me, it was like a, um, it was sort of like in really intense indie movies or not slasher horror movies, but like the ones that are just meant to be highly disturbing, you know, and unsettling. Evan is coaching Jonathan to play piano. It's going well at first. He's playing the entertainer. Um, and then the middle Holt kind of interrupts because Jonathan misses a key and he says he needs to learn um, and you need to like teach him dedication and also evan touched his eyebrow right before right right after holt says that um but the close-up on stabler's face it's of this halting version of the entertainer that jonathan's playing and stabler looks like he's about to cry and i thought it was such an intense creepy well shot like that camera work is amazing because they're closing they're like getting a tight close-up on Stabler's face it was like a movie and as you know I prefer movies so I really enjoyed not enjoyed the scene but it's good it makes you feel something like I expect this shit in season two or three I was not expecting something this high level in season one this is the dignity that I thought this show had prior the to gravitas. Yeah. yeah this is not Russian love poem this isn't stocks and bondage this is the same season that exposed us to Russian love poems Yes, this is the same season where fucking Cassidy goes, yeah, the pot makes me nervous. Uh, the pot makes me nervous. This is the same season where they have had at least five penis removals. Not here. This was artistic. Dun dun. Now we're in Cragen's office. So it's a whole squad. Uh, and they're all, of course, reeling from this revelation. Regarding Evan, Monique says, hasn't this kid been through enough already? Benson goes, how can you say that? You were the one watching those tapes and saying that you wanted to throttle the guy. Jeffries goes, yeah, well, you were the one that told Evan that it was going to be okay. And Benson says that it was okay when Evan was the victim, not the abuser. So Munch very meekly goes, he's both. And he's the person who had to watch all the tapes. Because even Cragen, well, Cragen's reluctant, but ultimately he picks up the phone and says that the same laws that bind Holt bind Evan too. And he calls Hickey uh, to get him down there. But you can tell that Munch, Jeffries, and Cragen are all of the camp like, Ugh, don't you think that maybe he was forced to do this? And Benson and Stabler. I'm shocked at Benson. So dun dun. Cragen and Stabler and Hickey and Evan are all in the mean interrogation room. Evan explains that Holt told Evan that Jonathan needed to feel the passion of the music. And that's ultimately why he directed Evan to abuse Jonathan. Um, he's not. So I said it kind of that's not how Evan was saying it again. Evan's very stoic, kind of deadpan um, the whole time. Like he's explaining it. He's not like defending it. So Stabler says that that's ridiculous uh, because first of all, he goes, Jonathan was playing the entertainer. And Evan kind of vacantly says, that's how I learned to play. So Stabler asks how many times Evan abused Jonathan. Evan says that it was only the one time. And Stabler thinks he's lying. He's like, don't lie to me. And again, you're right. It was very father-son dynamic right here. Yeah. Thank God Cragen wasn't. Well, actually, Cragen would have been nice. I remember last week with his father-son dynamic. Touching. That's slapping the so shit uncomfortable. Because I had to watch it again to make the cover art. And I was like, it really is weird. Evan says he's not lying, that it really was just that one time in the tape. Uh, and he understands he committed a crime and he believes he should be punished. So Cragen tells them that he'll be arraigned in the afternoon and Evan asks if that means he's going to jail. And Cragen says that he'll try to make a deal for him. 
So cut to the hallway. Stabler has left the room. He's frustrated, although quietly. He's kind of having like an angsty tantrum about this. Yes. Cragen walks up to him and he goes, you don't think it's fair that we give this kid a deal. I thought it was interesting that in the beginning, when Stabler kept calling Evan a child, Cragen was like, he's not a child, he's an adult. But now, obviously, he knows he's like, he cu- he's calling him the kid, which I thought was kind of interesting. And I want to, it hasn't been long since Stabler said emotionally, Evan is eight years old. So I'm, I'm kind of like, you. yes, Evan did something wrong, but if he really is emotionally a child. Because even, um... ADA Hickey said that. He was like, every time we ask him questions, he tries to answer. Again, I think people do this normally. He wants to get the answer right for you, like a kid might. So they do allude to him having a mentality where he's, like children are, easily manipulated, easy to coerce, and easy to bully into doing things. Like kids are very, if you, that's the whole issue with the dynamic between children and adults. It's that these kids don't have the same confidence, understanding, or maturity to advocate for themselves or to rationalize bad behavior and unfortunately this guy took that from him when he was eight years old so I agree it's like why is this and we're kind of back to the Jimmy of it all where it's like he did something bad but he didn't really know that's what he was doing as far as I can tell based on the what was told to me by this tv show where none of it is real (laughs) right I always have to be like I'm getting really into this but then I'm like okay does it matter because it's not real but Cragen says that Evan was a victim too, as we just said, um, and that they saw the proof in the tapes of that. So Stabler thinks that he, that saying this relieves Evan of an awful lot of responsibility. He says that Evan had a choice and Cragen agrees. He says that, but basically Evan is so damaged by the abuse that he's like, he, did he really? Dun, dun. Dun, dun. So we're, we're in the courtroom with Kevin Beck again, and he sets Evan's bail at $25,000. So Evan's defense attorney asks to approach the bench. And actually, the ADA Hickey is also here. And together, they say that Evan can't possibly make that. And Beck's like, okay, well, he's going to spend the night in jail then. Our ADA says he's afraid that a night in jail will affect Evan so much that he won't be able to properly give testimony against Holt. So Beck, once again, is randomly reasonable this episode. And he releases Evan into the custody of the people. He must be so confused. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. Ugh. We're at a shitty hotel. Oh, the scene. Um, so stay real quick. Is Stabler supposed to stay with him? Like overnight? Because why does he bring it back? I guess he's supposed to stay overnight because he's the people like watching. Yeah, Evan, he's the people. Which we spend so much time in Stabler's head. But Munch is the one who I feel like really understands the extent of the abuse everyone suffers. I would have preferred to have seen Munch in this scene. Except we have the pre-established relationship between Stabler and Evan I would have liked to have seen Munch and Evan interact I think that would have been interesting anyway it's Stabler he's making it about him I mean it's it's Stabler so it's Stabler yeah like (sighs) Huffy and Evan is sitting on the bed and goes you hate me don't you and Stabler's like I don't hate you he's like unpack like unpacking but he's just pulling random shit out of his bag I don't hate you but he says, I can't see you the same way anymore, knowing that you did this. As Stabler is huffing and puffing and going through his own bag, he finds the night before Christmas and he scoffs that his son must have put it in his bag and he throws it on the other bed across from Evan. Evan picks up the book and he opens it and he begins to read it out loud. And He's kind of got this like happy sort of, it's almost like he's happy to see the book, like he hasn't read in a while. And um, so he's reading it. 
And Stabler grabs it from him and he says, don't. Then Evan gets this really, he looks so ashamed and so embarrassed, you know, and he casts his eyes down at the ground. And like, it's funny, I didn't even think about the father figure thing before you said it, but you're right. It's sort of like he's, it's like he feels like he can't do anything right. Well, I was thinking he probably looked at that book and no one probably ever read to him like that as a child, which broke my heart. (sighs) Wilson, Jermaine, Heredia, wherever you are, you've ruined my life with this episode. I am devastated. I'm literally, I was heartbroken. He's so good. Just He's so good. Like. The hope in his voice. He deserves an EGOT because he deserves an Emmy for this episode. He has his Tony because he won a Tony for being Angel. And I don't know. Give him a Golden Globe and an Academy Award. I don't give a shit. I have literally been moved to tears. And I'm laughing hysterically now because. I always laugh at myself when I cry because I'm like, you stupid old bitch. Why are you crying? <laughs> And it's just so awkward to be talking like over the camera to each other. And just normally when Brittany and I cry together, we are drunken in person. I know. It's very, it's a little uncomfy on a computer. I'm teary. Ugh, done, done. So we are in the courtroom and Evan testifies against Holt. So Evan looks Holt in the eye and confirms to the ADA that Holt touched him. It's a very short scene, actually. Basically, the ADA leads him through questioning. He confirms that he was abused by Holt. And we immediately go to a Supreme Court sentencing hearing. And Kevin Beck is not the judge. It's Judge Pamela Misner. Judge Misner asks Holt if he wants to say anything. The defense says no. And she goes on this rant where she basically calls Larry Holt the most disgusting person she's ever heard of. Fair. She sentences him to 115 years in prison. Hot damn. Oh, and then this upset me all over again because like Holt like is standing there looking kind of like shell-shocked and then his son grabs his hand. There's no one to grab Evan's hand. So Evan asks if he'll be in jail that long. Um, And the ADA is like, well, he'll be ineligible for parole in 38 years. And Evan like sympathetically goes, well, he's almost 60, which even in his state, Evan still kind of cares about what will happen to Holt. I had a different interpretation of it i thought his this is how good he is we don't even know um because in my mind he kind of when holt walks by after and they exchange like a glance evan to me kind of looked a little bit relieved kind of like because i believe him i believe that he was only forced at that point had only holt only had the opportunity to force evan to abuse a child one time so it's sort of like he to me he seemed relieved like i that won't have to do this I have to say, I love the ADA's delivery here because Evan, like I said, goes, oh, he's almost 60. And the ADA smiles and goes, yeah, isn't math wonderful? It's like almost like he's smoking a cigarette after sex. He's like, yeah. Mm." Isn't math wonderful? It is not. But in this case, it is. I do think I would be, oh, my God, if I was an ADA and I sent a pedophile to prison, I think I'd be like, oh, that feels so good. Fuck you. I feel like in the South, back in a certain time, they probably were allowed to smoke in court. And I feel like Hickey does want a cigarette. He's like, mm, justice tastes like nicotine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so dun dun. Back at the station. So Jonathan's father is upset because the squad made a deal for Evan so he won't be going to trial for abusing Jonathan. They definitely understand that he, why he's upset. Uh, and of course, he has every right to be. Uh, But they're kind of trying to, they don't really say it, 
but they're they're sort of trying to convince him that they don't think Evan will do this to another child again. And then Cragen says, isn't it important just knowing that neither of these men are going to do this ever again? So Jonathan's father, he doesn't buy it. Um, he says that he wants Evan to go to trial and he thinks that the system has special laws for special people and tells them that if they don't undo the deal, uh, which is what he does say in the show, um, that he'll call every news outlet, newspaper, run around town telling people that only certain child molesters are worth SVU's time and energy investigating and others aren't. Which I'm kind of like, they got the rich white guy, which normally they don't. So I don't really know what he's talking about. And it's not like Evan's even getting special treatment. He just made a deal. And the deal is so that Jonathan doesn't have to sit through a trial. Yes, that's fundamentally. It's it's for the benefit of his son, partially. I mean, or he's trying to imply that they're lazy. And they're like, oh, we got the one guy. We don't care about the other. But that's just, it's like, it does have a purpose, I suppose. Um, So, dun dun. Interrogation room. Evan is in there with his lawyer, Stapler, and Cragen. Evan is holding an unopened envelope, a very big envelope, and it's from Juilliard, and he looks discouraged, upset. He hands the envelope to Stabler, and he walks over to the window. Stabler opens it and says, congratulations. So Evan's lawyer says, Evan pleads guilty, and we go to trial. Hickey says, the judge won't cut a deal. Evan asks, so how long will I be in jail? Hickey says, felony carries one to three years, and I think that the judge will feel politically obligated to give you three. I thought that this was a very ironic number, of course, because the Juilliard program is also three years. So it's kind of like the writer's taking a knife and just twisting. So the lawyer says, well, we'll go to trial and we'll probably end up with probation and right back where we started. We withdraw the guilty plea and and then Evan cuts him off and goes, no, Jonathan can't go through that. His lawyer says, but you'll be in jail for three years. Evan pauses, looks at them and says, look, I don't know what made Holt the way he is, but I do know what made me the way I am. And it stops here. Now, executive producer Dick Wolf. I'm like going to cry again. So Evan had the choice between going through a trial and most likely he would have just gotten probation and he could have continued on with his life. And God, I'm going to cry. So in order to spare Jonathan, oh my God. So in order to spare Jonathan a trial, he chooses to plead guilty, meaning he will pretty much automatically lose three years of his life. And be a sex offender, which I mean, I think he would have gotten that either way. But damn, who thought a show about sex crimes would make us cry? Three years and he got into Juilliard and it's like he got in even though they showed him that fucking tape of what was happening to him. And he was able to go to the audition even with his mother kicking him out, calling him horrible names. And he has no support system. And I know we as the audience are meant to question Evan because he really did do something horrible to Jonathan. But I do think that ending scene where he chose Jonathan's well-being over his own future does at least prove that he's a good person. I don't know. I feel weird saying that, but. And then all the other kids were going through the same thing. There were several people he knew from the neighborhood going through this. So nobody had any guidance for him to say this is wrong. This is the first, like, there have been several where I've been like, ugh, at the end of an episode. This one I'm, like, truly emotionally devastated. I may never recover. I I may never move on from this. I may never move on from this. Well, okay, ultimately, this was our favorite episode of the season. Best guest star of the season. 
yes, best guest star, best acting of the season, as I can go on and on. Even from Chris Maloney, I think, did an excellent job. I thought Richard Belzer again, what did not, none of it was really delivery. It was all him reacting to watching the videos. I thought that was really good. Go watch the movie version of Rent. I can't say if it holds up or not, but the soundtrack certainly does. Rent is so good. (laughs) Rent is so good. I'll never forget watching it. I had never heard of it until it came out uh, and I was like 15 and I did that thing where I bought a poster. I bought the movie. We watched it several. We used to do theater and we were those annoying theater people that, and of course, like you have to, we would sing in theater and sing La Vivo M, you know. Like we wanted to like act out that scene. That was like our dream. (laughs) We wanted to be able to go to any Fridays in New Hampshire and stand on the table and dance. One last thing. I have to say, I feel like the original Broadway cast of Rent is so fucking stacked. Can you think of a more stacked original cast from a Broadway show? It's got Idina Menzel, who goes on to do Wicked, Frozen. I mean, she's still thriving. Uh, What, Rent came out in like 96, so I don't want to say it, but almost 30 years later. Um, Tay Diggs, legendary incredibly talented Wilson Jermaine Heredia and then uh Jesse L. Martin who has had a career as Collins or not he was Collins he had a career as Green I remember being confused when it came out I was like oh that's Detective Green from Law and Order and everyone's like yeah he was also Collins and I'm like well no he's Collins in this and they're like no he's he was Collins the whole thing I remember hating Adam Pascal's voice I'm so sorry oh that's so funny I'm probably the only person on planet Earth during the Mimi part where Mimi is supposed to have died, but she didn't. Mimi. Mimi. <laughs> oh. can, can you do one thing, two things for me at my funeral, Brittany? I'm allowing you. To, uh, these can I things. go, Mimi? Yeah, just like, just walk up to my open cast. It'll be closed, and then you enter, you walk up, and like these stage hands come out and they open the casket. My parents are like, What's going on? You're like, Shh. I should tell you, I should tell you. You're like, you Fuck. Take my, my dead hand. <laughs> and it's a doll hand because it was in your will. So it's stroking my face, and I've just got tears streaming down my face, and I'm very straight faced singing you rent. And the porcelain dolls are in the audience. I turn and it's all dolls everywhere. And then it goes into La Viva Web and I rise from the casket. Viva La Viva Web. Dun. Everyone's like, is this a fake funeral? We're like, yeah. Yeah, we got you. And I'm like, woo. Happy April Fool's Day 2024. Now I'm going to put that in my calendar. I was like, anything with dolls happens today. It's Paige. You're not getting dead silenced. My God. Well, that was so fun and we needed that levity after. Okay, so next week we're going to be doing, it's the final episode of season one of Law & Order SVU. And a lot happens. Um, First of all, Andrew McCarthy of Pretty in Pink, Weekend at Bernie's and, you know, 80s fame is in it. He's a bad man. And unfortunately, we lose a beloved member of our squad. Who is it? We don't know. You'll have to tune in next week when we watch Season 1, Episode 22, Slaves. Bye, guys. Bye.